if I've got a veil over my heart, very hard to, very hard to penetrate that. And um, this, this ministry of Paul, it, it, it was amazing. It, there's actually a scripture said, he said, actually said to King Agrippa, I was sent to... Thanks. Thanks, my love. It's a veil over the eyes, veil over the mind, and uh, veil over the heart. Yeah, it didn't work, did it? But it was better off with the other one. Oh, sorry. Was that your baby? I didn't mean to. I just didn't mean to just throw that away like that. I just thought that was something Julie fetched out of the storeroom. And um, <laughs> but Paul had this amazing ministry that when he turned up to a place like the Central Coast, but I'm talking about Ephesus 2,000 years ago, all of a sudden the demonic stuff started to back off. And people started to be released from the demonic, that demonic religion, Artemis. And, um, and what happened, people started to get saved. And all these house churches started to spring up all through Ephesus. Imagine that. Just, and it was just from this one church that was not really big. But it, 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 it certainly had a major consequence because after two years, guess what? Ephesus was just about all saved. And who would like to see the Central Coast saved? Who would, who would like to see that? Have you still got a heart for a city? Have you still got a heart for your school? Have you still got a heart for your family? Have you still got a heart for this church? It, it's all about having a heart to see people released from bondage and uh, from darkness and into the great light of God. And so I want to talk about that. And it's a little paraphrase of what I spoke about last week. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And uh, we talked about the, um, the scripture, I guess, that was in 1 Peter 2.4, who want... Who, who wants all men to be saved. And, and we're talking about how to reach a city for Christ. And we talked about the prayers of the saints. And, uh, you know, all men to lift up holy hands without dispute, meaning great unity amongst the church, in the church. Great unity, lifting holy hands and praying for our city. And eventually it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. That means everyone, for kings and all those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That means that people are saved and getting along with each other. It means you can go down to the beach or you can go down to the, you know, the shopping center and everyone's just getting along real well. And there's love and people are smiling and, and that's what that means. And verse 3 this is good and pleases God our Saviour, and who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And 7, for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle, and I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. And he says lastly here in 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing, meaning I don't want division, I don't, don't want dissension, 
I want unity. And then he goes on through the book of Ephesians. He talks about ethnic disunity in chapter 2. He addresses church disunity in chapter 3 and ministerial disunity in chapter 4 and family and workplace disunity in chapter 6. And he says, get that unity together before you engage the spiritual forces of darkness that he mentions uh, in in Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly places. And then he talks about in Ephesians 4.27, And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, and he says, if we get this together, we're going to see people saved en masse. To the point where actually um, Paul says, Man, I've done as much as I need to do there. I, I can leave there. And, and he actually says that in the Word of God, uh, that, uh, you know, he actually says that, that uh, actually my work was done there. Imagine that after two years, that the work was all done on the Central Coast, then we could, you know, that, that, that this ministry was able to move on. I find that amazing. But it was. It's a story of Ephesus, and I believe it reminds me of the Central Coast that can be saved. Ephesus was saved. What's wrong with us believing for the central coast to be saved. So just a little paraphrase there. But it was all done through extraordinary miracles, through Paul, even to the point where Paul would be walking down the street and, you know, uh, it says here in Acts 19 verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. And it goes on to say many believed and openly confessed and, uh, and turned away from that demonic religion and came to the gospel, came to Christ through the gospel. I love that. And then, he's, and then, it, and then we talked about prayer uh, and Acts 2.42. How was it done? Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread. So they fellowship, they came to the connect groups. They, they talked about the, the, the Bible, the Word of God, and the, they broke bread. They had fellowship. But then they did this outward thing. They prayed. So in every connect group, I want everyone to pray for your city. I want everyone to pray for the church, but everyone to pray for the Central Coast. But in particular, yeah, for the leaders, for the church, for your leaders in uh, youth. Garth's not here. Jamie's under the weather. He's, he's uh, looking after her. And so, but in every connect group, I want you to pray first because prayer is so critical for this to hold up. And of course, we're going to see people saved. Um, And then here we go. Let's have a look at this. So, So, Paul had a power encounter with a city, Ephesus. There was a power encounter. But it was overcome through the power of prayer, prayer evangelism, and truth encounters, preaching the gospel, and the Holy Spirit, but the Word of God went out to that city, went out right across. And it just didn't become one large church. It was, you know, connect groups and other churches, and of course, it was a great work. And then I thought, well, my God, this is great. I, I used to have such a heart for the city. I did have such a heart for the coast and, and even myself, I've retracted a little bit of that. But I want to say this again. Let's have a look in 1 Kings chapter 18. It depicts Israel's darkest hour when Ahab and Jezebel ruled with a demonic spirit. 
prophets of Baal had the nation on the run. And of course, we have Elijah the prophet. Anyone know about him? Heard the story of him? And Elijah confronted and successfully resolved the crisis through prayer. He basically throws down the gauntlet. God says he can do this. God spoke to him. He says, I want you to take this demonic thing on. And, um, and of course, Elijah says, wow, okay, let's do this. So he throws the gauntlet down. Let's see who's God. And we got this scripture here. So in 1 Kings 18:24, then you call on the name of your God, he says to these prophets of Baal and all these other false worshippers. He says, you call on your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, my God, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, then all the people said, get this, what you say is good. What you say is good. So the people are into that. Yeah, we're, we're into that. We'll, we want to see that. And you know the story. And, um, you know, they built an altar and prophets of Baal were trying to bring fire down and they end up cutting themselves up and yelling and screaming and frothing and nothing happened. And then Elijah says, well, give me a go. Let's give me a go. And so he said, throw some water on it once, twice, three times on this altar. And, uh, and of course, this fire descended from heaven and the fear of God came upon people throughout that region. They go, oh my God, this, this guy, this, this is God. Not, not. And so there was, a, there was a showdown, a supernatural showdown. Then straight after that, which is about my point I want to try and make tonight, was that he met this urgent need of rain. There was no rain. Elijah said there wouldn't be rain for a number of years. And then God said, guess what, Elijah, there's going to be rain. And so after he had this showdown, this power showdown with the powers of darkness, he realized there was a felt need. Say felt need. A felt need. And the felt need for that nation was rain. Rain. Who likes being parched in the, in the throat? Who, who likes... No water. I mean, I've worked up in North Queensland on, in, under the sun. I mean, and uh, I know what drought means. I, I've tasted it, I think. And so he says, I'm going to, he said, I need to meet this need. So he did. He prayed. And, uh, and after a while, after he continued to pray, we know the story, four, five, six times, seven times, bang, it started to, to rain. And the point I want to try and make tonight is this, that, that there are people out there that have felt needs. They have felt needs. And before they understand that they need salvation, they want their felt needs met. Would that be true? You know, if I went up to someone, actually, I'll give you a story. I walked into a shop, a local shop, the other day, and I saw a lady very busy behind the counter, and I could tell she was under the pump trying to work this business. She had a daughter there working too, and I could tell, but she was gracious, she was respectful enough to stop for, for a moment. And I walked into the shop, and I just needed to say something to her about this local area here. And um, she looked at me, and I don't know, I said what I needed to say very quickly. And I said, because you know what, you know, compassion. You see, you see someone, you see the stuff on them. You see, the, you see them under the palm. And as I'm talking to her about the natural, 
I'm thinking, this poor woman. And I said, man, you're doing it hard here, aren't you? She said, well, I actually am. My husband has got this back condition and uh, he needs it fused. He hasn't been back to work since May. I'm running this business, but he needs his back fused, but his back's not strong enough and so he's virtually laid up all the time. And we're trying to sell the business now and, and I thought to myself, oh my God. Uh, is that right? So I'm looking, her, looking at her in the, in the eyes, taking her, and she's looking at me. She's actually heartfeltly sharing this stuff with me because she knows probably I'm a minister. But still, this can happen to you if you show compassion. Yeah. So I said, man, that must be tough you know what, I, I think I need to pray, I need to pray now, would you mind that, uh, look, you know, above all things, you know, I, I, can, I can pray, at least I can pray, well, would you mind if, I, yes, please pray, so I've had no, no talk with this woman about God or anything, I've known her for years, but now there's an opportunity, now there's an opportunity, what's your husband's name? told me his name, and I began to pray, and very pastorally prayed for the, for the man, prayed for the business to sell, pastoral. What's their felt need? What's the felt need of this woman? She needs a husband healed. She needs a business to sell. You know what I'm saying? And, and she needs a break. So that's her felt need. She doesn't need salvation right now. Some religious people say she needs salvation well, hang on, no, she has felt needs. And I want to prove to you that Jesus met people in their felt needs. In five minutes, do you want me to do that? Okay, here it is. I love this stuff. And, by the way, I prayed for that lady. She was so blessed. She st- started to cry, of course. And I graciously moved on. Because you do, because that was the job done. I had nothing more to say. Let's look at the, um, the, the story of, of Jesus turning the water into wine. Let's, let's quickly look at that. It's in John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. I haven't got time. It's his first miracle. It's Jesus' first miracle. And he's going to turn water into wine. Um, was it real wine? I don't know. Yes, it was. It was a, yes, it was. There was a touch of alcohol in there, so... but. It wasn't like the stuff like that you sell down in this bottlers down here. Why would he provide wine for a party? I, I simply don't know. But I suggest there was a felt need. The father of the bride, whose reputation was at stake at that moment, was not concerned about his t- eternal salvation. He was consumed with shame because all his friends and associates were there and he had failed them. And so from Jesus' perspective, yes, he did need salvation, but Jesus met him where he needed. This man was saying, give me wine or give me death, basically. He was being shamed amongst all his good friends because the wine had run, run out. Am I making sense? And what did Jesus do? He turned water into wine and thus met the felt need of the hour. And as soon as the people tasted the wine, it was real, and they realized, my God, this is extraordinary. Wow. Uh, and they might have said, who did this? And in all likelihood, their eyes went to Jesus. And then they realized, my God, 
He can meet our needs. And then maybe the man was saved. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's look at Zacchaeus. I'm moving through quickly now because my time. Luke 19, verse 1 to 9. I haven't got time. Basically, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a ruthless man, mafia standover merchant who was rotting the system. He worked for the Jews and the Romans. But um, Zacchaeus felt need was that he craved, he craved this. What was Zacchaeus felt need? He craved this, respect. Because if you read the Bible in verse 7, the local establishment had done a superb job of shunning and despising him. So he was an outcast. And what did Zacchaeus need? He needed, he needed respect. So when Jesus went to Jericho, Zacchaeus wanted to see him. And the Bible's very clear, again, uh, if you look in verse 4, that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. So in verse 4, it says he ran on ahead. And uh, he ran on ahead, most probably ahead of the important people, because he wasn't welcome there. So he runs on ahead, and then, of course, he finds himself in amongst all the sort of, you know, the, the, the lower class people. But then he's not tall enough to see over those people. And then he climbs up a tree and he's just perched just sort of on this tree like a, like a wild animal almost, waiting for Jesus to come through this procession from the important people down so that he can at least glance this man called Jesus. You getting this? Zacchaeus felt terrible and needed respect. Not only was he small in stature, but small in character. But against that backdrop, Jesus' first official act upon entering Jericho was showing Zacchaeus respect. He told him in verse 5, Today I must stay at your house. And this really upset the religious leaders of the day. This really upset the religious leaders of the day. And in verse 7, it says, he has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And uh, they were indignant about it. Did Zacchaeus deserve respect? Uh, probably not at all. But Jesus was in the habit of meeting men's felt needs first in order to draw them to salvation. And what was Zacchaeus' response? Of course, we know the story. He repented. He gave half of his wealth to the poor and returned everything he had stolen at 400% interest because in Jesus' words... Today, in verse 9, it says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Do you get that? He felt need was met. He felt respected. And he said, man, right, God does love me. Right, I feel dignified. I'm going to fix everyone up. I've ripped off. Felt needs is what I'm talking about. The other example is Paul in Philippi. There's a big earthquake. They're in a jail, I should have said. And Paul and Silas are in a jail. And uh, they're locked up, they've been tortured, but then all of a sudden, this earthquake, God earthquake, shakes the jail, so, the, jail, the jail doors open, and the prisoners were free to escape. And the jailer, he, he, he's, he's freaking out. What is his felt need at that moment? His felt need is job security. Job security. And guess what? He needed, he needed reassurance that his prisoners had not fled since in some cases he responded for them. No, he needed the assurance of job security. Let's go there. And it says in verse 28, what did Paul do? He met 
the particular need by telling the jailer, we are all here. So Paul could have run away with the other guys, but Paul stays and somehow the others stayed. And he said to the, to the jailer, it's all right, we're not going anywhere, we're staying here, your job's secure. Your felt need is being answered in me right now, is staying, staying here. So, felt need, met again. I love this stuff. And of course, this scripture in Mark 1.40, and I'm nearly done. There's something about the felt needs being met in our loved ones, in our friends, in the lady down the road. There's something when their felt needs are met that that power encounter of a miracle, it reveals the love of God. And then they say, then the people say, oh, all right, yeah, tell me about your God. Tell me about Jesus. Obviously, he loves me. So this is talking about love. Mark 1.40 says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Mark 1.41 says, Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched that man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Acts 4.9 if we, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, because they're trying to defend themselves now, or they're being brought to account for a miracle of, of showing, you know, of seeing someone healed. And it says again in Acts 4.9, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The stone you... Stone you build is rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one other name under heaven given by man. I think that was another scripture, Acts 4.12. Basically, what I'd like to say is this. Somehow through the carols, somehow through these good works, somehow through these prayers being answered of the felt needs of the people in our life, this happens in Acts 26.18. And this is, this is, again, Paul saying, this, I had to go and do a work. What sort of work, Paul? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. Does that make sense? Acts 26, 18. Why is C3 Church Tuggery here? To open their eyes. Why did we worship tonight? Why did we address the heavenlies tonight in worship? Why are we praying? Why are we turning up and preaching the gospel? Why are we doing that? Exactly what it says in Acts 26, verse 18. To open their eyes, to open the people out there that can't see God and, and maybe don't believe in his great love for them, because they believe in the power of God. I mean, the universe explodes with the revelation that God is awesome, all-powerful. All but our people out there don't believe that God loves them. Does God really love me? I don't know. Show, show me that He loves me. And what we've got to do is pray for those people. So what I'm saying tonight, pray for your loved ones. That they don't get saved behind closed doors, but they get saved by a supernatural miracle that they turn, turn back up in your life and say, you know what happened? That knee you prayed for, man, I can walk with that. Man, I'm more, I don't know what, you prayed for me, didn't you? you? You prayed for my husband whose back needed to be fused, but, but now he's up out of bed and, and, and tell me, tell me more about that. 
I, I, can, I can bear witness to the power of God, but now I'm believing that He actually loves me. I went to your carols on the 17th of December. I was there with 2,000 people. I'm prophesying now. 2,000 people on your property. I felt the love of God abounding. I witnessed your hospitality. I felt the kindness of your people. I felt an open heaven over your property. I felt it. That's a power encounter right there. Do you know what? I think God loves me. I think God's trying to tell me that He loves me. Guess what? Their eyes have been opened. Their eyes have been opened. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm nearly done. Their eyes have been opened. So let's continue to pray for our loved ones and pray for the, you know, the, the kings and those in authority, it says. Because why? They help shape society. Pray for the mayors. Pray for the important people in our society. Why? Because I got an email from one of our councils yesterday morning that said this. Love the idea of the Tugra Community Carols. I have endorsed it for a grant, a $2,000 grant for an event for this year and continually. That was from one of our councillors. And by the way, other councillors are wanting to support you. And by the way, I personally give $300 to the event. See, we're praying for these people. I actually know this guy and I do pray for him. Pray for the ones in authority because they help shape, shape society. Does that make sense? Pray for the people that are in influence, have influence. Let's all stand, God bless you. Father, help us pray like we've never prayed before. Help us pray for those ones in authority. Help us lift holy hands. And I'll read that scripture again. I want you to begin, I just want you to start praying right now. 1 Timothy says, this is good. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, the kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That sounds like a revival to me. There is good, this is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I was appointed into SGU. I was appointed into C3 Tugra. I was appointed into the local church. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith of the Gentiles. Because the verse says here in verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and pray for their city, pray for their suburbs, pray for their street, pray for their family, pray for their mother and father, pray for their teachers, pray.